we're starting our series, Our Church, and we're in part two, and I wanted to read you some, uh, some of my favorite bulletin bloopers, um, because church is a place where crazy things happen, and goofy things happen, and good things happen, and uh, so these are, these are uh, I'm going to give you ten. Um, these, these are actually printed in bulletins. <clears throat> Remember the old bulletins? When you have a bulletin in your hand, you can read the bulletin. These are printed bulletin bloopers. At the evening service tonight, the sermon topic will be, What is Hell? Come early and listen to our choir practice. I don't think they meant for the choir to sound like that was what heaven is. <laughs> uh, the pastor would appreciate it if, by the way, these are almost all dangling modifiers. It's where you just put something at the end that doesn't fit. The pastor would appreciate it if the ladies of the congregation would lend him their electric girdles for a pancake breakfast next Sunday morning. Should have been griddles, not girdles. So if any of you have an electric girdle, I don't want to know about it. The pastor... <laughs> Pastor will preach his farewell message this Sunday, after which the choir will sing, Break Forth Into Joy. <laughs> a really bad song. you got to think that youth, that music guy did not like that guy. So <laughs> it's my final message. Hey, let's break forth into joy. Uh, Irving, <laughs> this one kills me. Irving Benson and Jesse, uh, Jessica Carter were married on October 24th in our church. So ends a friendship that began in their school days. <laughs> Like their friendship's going to end because they got married? That's not the way to say that. Um, and this is uh, on the national, uh, for National Prayer and Fasting Conference. The church was going to this National Prayer and Fasting Conference. National Prayer and Fasting Conference. The cost for attending the Fasting and Prayer Conference will include meals. Charlene Mason sang, I will not pass this way again, giving obvious pleasure to the congregation. Next Sunday is the Family Hayride. And bonfire at the Fowlers. Please bring your own hot dogs and guns. Probably meant buns, but in the deep south, at a hayride and cookout for kids, you never know. Uh, the church will host an evening of fine dining and superb entertainment uh, and gracious hostility this weekend. We're going to be gracious in our hostility to one another. Amen? And uh, for those of you who have children and don't know it, we have a nursery downstairs. I don't know what you need a nursery for if you don't know who your children are. So. And ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of those things not worth keeping around the house. Comma, don't forget your husbands. The church work is complicated sometimes. And we've had some bulletin bloopers here before. My name, Stan, has been spelled Satan in our old bulletin a couple of times. Pastor Satan. And, uh, and I've also been called Santa because you can get all those letters mixed up. So, uh and as a matter of fact, at camp one year, I was I was sent an email that went out to all the campers that said Pastor Sent Pastor Satan will be our special guest this year for camp. So hope that's not true. By the way, <laughs> hope it's just me standing. So I want you to turn to First Thessalonians chapter six. We're just talking about our church. We're going to spend twenty minutes talking about church stuff, and I'm going to show you how simple simple church is supposed to be because man it seems complicated i've been doing this for years and years and years and uh, it gets really complicated first thessalonians chapter one if you find chapter six please let me know i don't think it's in there yeah it was not proved by the council of nicene did not like that part so i was just reading it this weekend first thessalonians chapter one and verse six so the church at thessalonica is a tiny little group of people 
probably almost maybe this size right here. That's pretty amazing. It really may be about this many people at Thessalonica that's, that were part of this church Paul, Silas, and Timothy are writing to, 20 or 30 members or so at the most. Um, they have to keep their meetings secret. We don't, thank the Lord Jesus, for the freedom of our country. But they had to keep their meetings secret for fear of persecutions. The Romans and the devout Jews were trying to destroy their work and destroy the name of Christ and the gospel as it was going forth. And and uh, so, so there was all this... Um, danger in having a meeting like we're having now. They could not have a meeting like this. It was, it was kind of a, you know, we're going to have a picnic somewhere and we'd go up in the mountains and have a little family picnic and other friends would join us kind of thing. And then we would actually have church together. And so th there was all the, uh, in association with the church, uh, if you were associated with the church at all and somebody in the community found out about it, they could tattletale on you. And then you could get in trouble, so much trouble, literally Rome could arrest you and you could be burned at the stake. Um, and so that's a, is a very dangerous time, very different than what we live in. And you would think because of that, that this little tiny church of, and this is very important. If you're making notes ahead of the notes, a context note, they're brand new believers. Okay. The, every believer in the new Testament is pretty much a brand new believer. They've only been saved a couple of years at the most. When Paul writes back to them, uh, he's planted the church, gone to do some other work and here's gets message of what's happening about like Thessalonica or Galatia or Ephesus. And so then he just sends a letter back to him to talk to him. And so they're not, they're not seasoned 20 year uh, Christians. How many of you have been a Christian for more than 20 years here? How many of you been saved for more than 20 years? Look at all the seasoning we got going here. Right? So, so the, Paul would never have been able to talk. I mean, he wouldn't have met anybody like you. They're all new. Everybody's a new Christian, right? So here's, here's where we're going with this text. Listen to first, uh, this young church, Paul writing to them in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 6. And uh, it's just going to be right here on the screen for you. We'll follow it together. Um, this is how church is supposed to work, right? This is what it's supposed to look like. You also, Paul says to the Thessalonican churches, you became imitators of us, having received the word in much tribulation. You should underline receive the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. So they've done a good job with that. They report, they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus Christ, who rescues us from the wrath to come. I'm just going to tell you, I read stuff about churches all the time and I'm studying like crazy and there's all this, what's going on in the culture and what do we need? And, and a lot of churches have, have uh, changed the formats and changed their settings. And then they're saying now it's all going to go back. There's another generation coming up that wants it to be old style church uh, looks and all that. So if we hang in here long enough, we'll be in, we'll be in, in vogue again. So, but it's very interesting when you, when you study all this, that it sounds complicated. It sounds like higher math. It sounds like you're trying to do calculus for the church. And when you read this passage in the New Testament, there's two things that this church was doing that are exactly the core foundation. Uh, when I played all the sports as a kid, my older brother, Liam, wanted my little brother and I to play everything we could possibly play. So we played little league football and basketball and baseball, and we ran track. We ran track for a couple of churches 
Um, and I pole vaulted for a church, which was never a good idea, by the way, with a bamboo fishing pole. Bamboo fishing pole. I would pole vault over a stick with a bunch of nails in it, not a good idea, onto a bunch of old mattresses that my brother found somewhere in the side of the road that had, you know, who knows what kind of germs in it. So that's what I did for a long time as a kid, which may explain why I have no hair and mental issues. So, but, but here's, we, we did all kinds of sports, and every sport we did, here was what they kept telling us all the time. If you're playing basketball, we need you to be able to dribble and pass. Dribble and pass, dribble and pass. If you're playing football, we need to be able to block and tackle. You need to be able to block and tackle. Block and tackle, right? Playing baseball, you got to be able to catch the ball and throw the ball. Catch the ball and throw the ball. You know why? Those are the fundamentals. That's the basics. It's the fundamentals. If you have a player, any coach that knows this, when you have a player playing basketball that cannot dribble and pass, you're not going to put him in the game unless you're a million points ahead. Right, because when he gets the ball, he's gonna freak out, you know, and he's gonna do something really doofus or stupid, and and then you're lost the ball again. And so dribble and pass, dribble and pass, and and all the early exercises, dribble and pass, dribble and pass. Even the pros now, they still work on blocking and tackling, dribble and passing. Right, you got to know the fundamentals. When you go back to church world, it's church simple. It's the fundamentals look like this. Step one. They received the word. In their affliction with joy. They received the word in their affliction with joy. What kind of affliction did the Thessalonian church have? How were they afflicted? Somebody just say it out loud. How were they afflicted? Anybody? Did they have, did they have bubonic plague coming through there? Yeah, they, they were just mostly beaten or threatened or had to do it in secret, right? The, the affliction Paul's talking about is the persecution of the church that was happening at the time of the local assembly. So they they found the word in that moment and still were joyful. Like, oh, this is it. We found the truth, right? They were so excited to get the truth in themselves. They received the word with affliction, uh, but they received it with in affliction, but with joy. John 1, verse 12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So they believed on him, received him, and that made them become sons of God, right? Believe, receive, become. Believe, receive, become. And that's what they did. They believed on the word of God. They they received, not rescued, but received. It's okay. It's okay. <clears throat> they received the word of God, and then they become the sons of God. Every one of you that's ever trusted Christ, you had to hear the word first. How, how will they know if they don't hear Romans, right? So then they believed and they received, and then ultimately, ultimately they become the sons of God. Everybody here that's trusted Christ, we're adopted into that family. You guys know we've studied that adoption through Galatians and all that cool stuff. So um, they received the word with joy. They didn't get it whining or complaining. They weren't grunting or groaning about it. They weren't moaning about the affliction. They weren't miserable. They were actually joyful. And I've told you the story so many times, I decided to print the picture out for you and show you the picture. But these are the kids in Romania. This is a few minutes after a huge rain shower took place. And I was standing in the middle of that circle. Um, that's me, sorry. I was standing in the middle of that circle under a tarp that those students and the rest around the circle were holding over me so I could teach a devotion at 6.30 in the morning in the pouring down rain. 
Um, they just wanted to have a, a devotion before devotion time. And they were so hungry for the word that they asked me to do extra classes for them. And when it was pouring down rain that morning, we woke up that morning. It was, I want to say, uh, about 5.30 that morning, pouring down rain on my little tent. And I didn't think we were going anywhere. I didn't think there was any way to help them. I mean, this is outdoor. That's, that's camp right there. It's an outdoor mountain. I'm like, we're not even going to camp today. And they, they are all standing at the foot of my tent waiting on me to get up about 6.30. And, and I'm listening to them talking Hungarian. I don't know what they're saying. So I just finally opened the tent. And I'm like, oh, you're right. You know, I said, well, we can't meet because, I don't know, we got it solved. So they held a tarp over my head, over their heads, and my head, stood under the tarp, and I taught in the center. I taught them a lesson. I remember, I still remember the lesson I taught them. I taught them a lesson out of the Gospel of John uh, while they listened. You know why? They were so hungry for the Word of God. They were, they were so ready to get God's Word. They just do whatever it takes, right? And I'm saying we've gotten real soft as church people, as you know, whatever you call that when you've been in it so long, it's just soured. You know, it's like, oh, it's just the Bible. No, it is the holy word of God, and we should receive it with joy. Every day we open the word, it should be with joy. I'll never forget Robert E. Cochran, our senior saint with the Lord now, one of our former elders, but I'll never forget um, how he would say it to me some mornings when he would call me, and we would kind of check in with each other and talk. And, uh, and he would say, you know, I couldn't wait to get up this morning and see what God had to say to me in his word. He would wake up at 4.30 and do that, and then he'd call me about 6.30 when I would wake up. But he couldn't wait to see what God was going to show him. He had that same passion that these Thessalonian believers have, and, and they received it with joy. I want to encourage you to be the same way. So step one is to receive the word with joy. Receive the word of God. Right? With joy. Step two. They proclaim the word throughout the region. Uh, and it says, in, and I'm going to read it to you in, in the New American Standard real quick. It's in the T's. I know where it is. <clears throat> it says, You also became imitators of us, having received the word in much tribulation, and you became examples of us. For the word of the Lord, verse 8 in your Bibles, has sounded forth. Somebody look in your Bible. The word of the Lord has sounded forth. Sounded forth. See that in numeric standard. What's your word say? Gone forth, one of them says. I remember that one. What? Has, the word has spread out. Any other words in there? Word of the Lord has. It's the, it's the word for, I should have had you bring it. It's the word for trumpet. It means trumpeted forth, right? And I, I played trumpet a little bit in high school. Cody's played trumpet. A little hard to play it quiet. You can, right? You can play it quiet, but but quiet for a trumpet is kind of like quiet for a banjo. You can still hear it two, two, half, two and a half blocks away, right? So the word of God has trumpeted forth. Trumpeted forth. Say it out loud. Trumpeted. Trumpeted. It's <laughs> a fun word. It's trumpeted forth. The word of God has trumpeted forth. They received the word and they trumpeted the word. That's what they did. By the way, it's New Testament church. Brand spanking new New Testament church. And what, what sounded forth from them? The word has trumpeted forth out of them. What sounded forth? Well, two things. The gospel and their testimony. 
the gospel sounded forth because that's how people get saved. You tell them what Jesus did to save you from your sins. He died on the cross to pay for your sins so that you could go to heaven. That's the gospel. He died on the cross to pay for your sins. And you know you're a sinner. You have to acknowledge the sin, sinner deal. I used to have these people argue with me all the time. It was a big, big issue in Georgia for a long time that all you have to do is believe. I'm like, well, but you have to believe something. You don't just have to believe. And they're like, no, the gospel is just to believe. I'm like, come on. You have to believe you're a sinner and he's the Savior. That's two things. Now you're making it more than you're adding to the gospel. No, I'm not. I'm just looking at the scriptures saying what the gospel looks like is you have to believe that according to the scriptures, Jesus died for my sins and rose again and that he paid for my sins. He atoned for my sins on that cross. He had no sins except that he took mine there. Amen. So they, they preach the gospel, but then they also tell their testimonies. It, it sounded forth from you what God's done for you. All right, these people, these people in this little tiny church, in this little tiny place, you know, in far away uh, Middle East, have all of a sudden, and it, and it lists the towns around them, have all of a sudden blasted the gospel out to all these other places. Um, and, and, and they blasted it out, trumpeted it out to Achaia and Macedonia and Paul says, he, and Paul's a church planner. He's, he's a missionary that goes around looking for a little village he can land in for a while, do a little work, get to know some people, hang out in the synagogues, or hang out with anybody religious he can find, even if it's you know Greeks and Romans, he'll hang out with them. And then he starts pulling them together and starts teaching them the gospel, gets a few converts, and now we start a little home church, a little house church kind of thing. And pretty soon we got a little community going, and we plant a church, and then we start looking for the next town. All right, that's what Paul does. That's what Paul does. Right? And you know what Paul's saying? When I go around Thessalonica, I'm kind of bored. There's no, no town I can go to that hasn't already heard the gospel. You guys have kind of put it all out there. It'd be like saying right here at Northside, you know, Hattiesburg and Pascagoula and, you know, Pensacola and Gulf Shores, you know, uh, sorry, 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 Evergreen, all of that, all of those towns around us, all of that keeps, they've heard the gospel so clear from Northside, Thessalonica, from Northside, that the missionaries are going, we don't, we don't even need to go there. I mean, they got, the, they got it covered. They blasted, trumpeted out the gospel. That's what church does. That's what New Testament church does. They set themselves up to do that. Um, now, here's their testimony, and it's, it's sort of a testimony of conversion. It's a really nice way to explain their testimony. And their conversion, the whole conversion process is a fairly simple picture as well. He says, they heard how you turned to God, step one, turned to God, and you turned from idols, to, which is repenting of your past. You had this idolatrous lifestyle. You were, you were searching for other things, looking for other things, working toward other things. You have this idolatrous lifestyle, but you turned to God from idols, and then you turned literally to serve the living and true God to wait for his return. By the way, there's a great verse about idolatry in Deuteronomy 6.14. Deuteronomy 6.14, and it, it reads this way in the message translation. Deeply respect God, your God. Serve and worship him. Don't fool around with any other gods, the gods of your neighbors. In America, your neighbors serve the gods of consumerism, the gods of... of um, 
materialism, all that's part of our culture. We just want more stuff and we need bigger and prettier and better stuff. And that's the gods of our neighbors. And Deuteronomy 6 says, put God in the center of everything you're doing and respect him and don't chase after the gods of your neighbors, right? So we, as well as followers of Christ, local church, north side, not Thessalonica, but like Thessalonica, we have turned to God, we've turned from our idols, and they turn to serve the living and true God to wait for his return. They're waiting for him to come back. Right? Remember when your dad used to tell you he's going to go run an errand or do something, or my dad, it was always he's going to go to a restaurant work for a while, and then he's going to come back, and you better have done X, Y, Z. You better have cleaned the bathrooms. From, in our house, it was clean the bathrooms and mop the floors and bring all the laundry in the laundry room. We had all these little chores we had to do. My brother never did any of them, though. He made me do it because so he, he knew dad would get really mad and he knew I didn't want dad mad and he didn't care. So. But it was it was lots of chores to do. And I remember procrastinating some of that as a little junior high kid at home, procrastinating some of that. And then those headlights come across the front of the house and you hear that car, you hear the old Ford come up in the driveway, dad's old 57 Ford come up in the driveway and you're like, ah. you know, you're running around like crazy, dusting and cleaning and fixing things as fast as you can. Well, he's going to return. You know that? Jesus is going to return. He's coming back. These Thessalonican believers had it on their high priority list. Here's their priority list. I'm going to serve God and I'm going to wait on God. I'm going to serve like I'm waiting. I'm going to serve like I'm waiting for him. Like any minute now, that's how I'm going to be serving. If you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow, do you think you would serve him a lot harder today than normal? I'm asking. Do you think you'd serve him a lot harder today than normal? If, he was coming, if you knew for sure he's coming back tomorrow, wouldn't you just crank it up a notch or 10 or 100? <laughs> right? Here's what the Thessalonican church was doing. They were serving God and waiting at the same time. He'll be back anytime. And they really believe that, by the way. I hope you believe that. I hope we'll serve with that kind of energy and give God our all. Um, seek God in all your ways. Let, let God have... See, they, they put God in the center of what they were doing. They turned to God, they turned from idols, and then they were serving. Now, I'm going to ask a simple question. As a teacher, sometimes you just need people to understand. So how many, how many steps are there in this church, how church works thing? In the Thess this Thessalonica church is very successful, by the way. They're a great church. They're doing a great work of God, and God's blessing them like crazy. They're reaching lost people like crazy. They're discipling people up, reaching and discipling. I said, that's what we're trying to do. How many steps were on your page today? Step one, how many, ste how many steps were there? Fifteen? Two? Really, two. I remember when I showed Josh the notes, he thought I'd left something out. He came to me and he goes, Dad, there's only two steps here. And I went, yeah, I, I know. There's only two steps. There's only two things God's asked us to do. It's not complicated, right? He wants us to receive his word. And proclaim his word. Receive his word and proclaim his word. Step one is to his word. And step two is to anybody here have any questions about that? I'm just saying it's not rocket science, you know. You didn't hire a genius up here. You just got me. But it's not complicated. Now, in the New Testament model, the Thessalonican church, how many of you believe that... Uh, the guys that were really knocking this dead. I mean, this church is is reaching out of its doors and getting other people the message of the gospel and their testimony. 
it's Paul says it's blasted forth like a trumpet, right? Now, how do you believe that the the seminary graduates in that church that were all pumped up on their seminary degrees and they had all this Bible college stuff going, four years of Bible college, how do you believe that's who Paul's talking about went out? You think it was the seminary grads? Right? The doctors and the you know, PhDs and all those guys, master and master in ministry methodologies, no. You know who it was? Just the good old boys. Just the Thessalonican guys and girls. Just people. Regular everyday people that got saved about a month and a half, two months, three months, four months ago. And they received the word. And then their disciples said, hey, we need you to help us proclaim this word. Man, this, this can't stay secret. And if we're not, if we don't get it out fast, we're going to get killed. <laughs> so let's get it out everywhere. Let's tell everybody we can the gospel, and it's trumpeted from that church. I really believe one of the reasons that the hand of God continues to wait on us at Northside, I believe this with all my heart, I believe God's waiting on us to get better at trumpeting the gospel so, so the pews look different than they do today, so, so the gym gets more use, so the, so the ball field gets to be used again by young families because we will... When there's people on the ball field or in the gym, we will go trumpet the message. We will somehow find a way to say, that's our, that's our community right there. Let's talk to them and give them our testimony. I'll tell you how I turned to God from idols. I'll tell you what God did to shake up my life and turn me to him. I'll tell you how I turned him and how I can't wait to see him again. That's the testimony they had. And I'll tell you the gospel when you want to know why I do all that. It's because Jesus died for me. An unworthy, really, really bad guy. He paid for all my sins and paid the ultimate price so I could have adoption with him. Right? That's all church is. Turn to God. Receive the word. Proclaim the word. Receive the word and proclaim the word. It's not complicated. And and by the way, I would just encourage you... you probably expect this from me today, but I would encourage you that the easiest way to get that locked in your head and stay there is to spend a lot of time focusing on the cross. Paul says he gloried only in the cross and he was the, a master minister of church, uh, of, of healthy churches. And he says you just stay focused on the cross, focused on the cross, glory only in the cross. Galatians six fourteen, glory only in the cross. Let yourself boast of nothing else, talk of nothing else, when somebody asks you about something, you can find a way to tell them that's because we have, because of the cross. We have everything in our life because of the cross, right? So I'm going to read you a couple of these. I've read them to you many times before on Vision Sunday usually. But I just want to read you a couple because they fit so well with the Thessalonican church. It's, it's where sort of all this was originated. There once was a church so overwhelmed by the grace of God they could not stop talking about how they turned to God from a life of useless sin and futility. There used to be a church like that. Don't you want Northside to be that church? I do. There once was a church so overwhelmed by the grace of God they could not stop talking about how they turned to God. There once was a church so completely saturated with the grace of God they joyfully fed the poor, they served the widows and the orphans in the community, they loved lost people and they helped every believing Christ follower grow up and love people more and more. And there once was a church so filled up with the grace of God, people would go out and tell the story of Jesus at the risk of their very lives. 
and people were being converted daily to a saving knowledge of grace. 